Scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, and we will begin with the 12th verse. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, these are the very words of life. This is truth. And so will you use that to feed us to mold us, to rebuke us, to enable us to love you more. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. The follower of Christ should live a life that shows our salvation to be real and genuine. One who professes Christ as their Lord and Savior should live in such a way that those who are observing their life have no choice but to say there's something there. There's something different about that person. There is something that is genuine that is going on. When one joins St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, uh, there are some vows that are taken, and this is one of them. Uh, The question is, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit? So that's the first part of it. Before you make any promise, it's, It's, uh, do you understand that this is, you're answering this based upon your reliance upon the Holy Spirit? And then here's the question, that you will seek to live a life fitting of a follower of Christ. To live a life fitting of a follower of Christ. 
But for some Christians, there is a gap. There is a gap between what one says they believe and what their attitude is and what their actions are. How do we grapple with that? What, what does that mean that there is a gap? When we say we believe something and it, it doesn't jive with how we are behaving or when we say we're against sin but we sin anyway. Does that mean that we're a hypocrite? One of the common complaints about the church by those, primarily those outside of the church, is that that there are hypocrites there or that the church is full of hypocrites. And they would love to point to that gap that I just described. They say they believe this, but this is how they act. Now we're going to break that down in a moment in terms of whether that's hypocrisy. But before we, we do, I want us to cope with the phrase that's in verse 12 uh, where it says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. There's been a lot of confusion over that. So I want us to clarify. It does not say work for your own salvation. It does not imply that earning favor with God for salvation is even a possibility. And it does not teach that to remain in Christ, you've really got to work hard enough or you might not be able to remain in Christ because it depends on how hard you work. So what does it mean then? Well, remember, this is a letter. And so in letters, uh, there are not chapters and verses. And, and so uh, particularly in the scripture, you've always got to look at what's, what's just been said and what's about to be said. And uh, this, this is no different here because that verse in verse 12 begins with therefore. So that's clearly connecting with what's just been said, what he is about to say. What he had just talked about that we've uh, been looking into the last several weeks is the work of Christ. His humiliation, his incarnation, his perfectly obedient life, his going to the cross, his dying. And then his exaltation. And so the therefore is saying, look, because of all of this that I've just talked about in this hymn that was basically right before this, about Christ, because of that, here's what you need to do. And that's where he connects it with our work. So how does that work? 
Well, it says, work out your salvation. And what that means is, apply it. You are saved. Now apply that in your life. Make that inward truth that you are professing outworking in your life, in your actions, and in your attitudes. Now, it does show a balance here. And the balance is in the next verse, verse 13. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we work. Work hard. Continue to work. That's what that that uh, uh, verb is, how we are to work. It's a, it's a continual thing. But we realize that we are able to work because God is working in us. God is our energy. God gives us the ability to obey. Now, like he does so often, Paul then gets very practical. So he has spoken of all this great theology of the work of Christ. He has presented this statement about working out your salvation, which we would call sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. But now he's, he's about to say, and this is how you do it. This is how you work it out. And I'm going to give you two broad categories. And the first one is that a believer's salvation should be d- displayed in attitude. Verse thor- uh, 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, up to this point, we haven't said a lot about the dispute, evidently, that was going on, the, some disunity there in that church. We're going to see more about it in uh, chapter 4. He's going to call them out. He's going to name names, okay? But, uh, but now, right now, what he's doing is uh, he's laying a foundation for how we are to deal with these disputes and why we are. He's setting the stage for dealing with that situation. It seems like doing things without complaining or arguing, it may seem like, well, that's action. That's not so much attitude. But, but uh, I'm convinced that here it, it relates to that inward attitude. Now, when it talks about complaining or grumbling, the idea is this low-toned, discontented mutterings. In the Old Testament, there is a, there's a Hebrew word, and it is the word that's usually translated murmur. And it relates to uh, the, the, the actual sound of the word. And so it's, here's the idea. This, uh, these grumblings are like murmur, 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 murmur. You know, it's, a, it's an undertone. And that's why that's such a descriptive word. And, and that undertone undercuts that which is above it. Howard Hendricks uh, was an advisor to hundreds of pastors and churches uh, during his many years of ministry. I heard him say this, that he had spoken to pastors and, and churches all over the country and he said, this is not scientific, this is just my own observance. And that is, he said that uh, about 14% of church members 
won't be happy no matter what. <laughs> now, when I heard him say that, and, and you know, I, I think of our church here, and we are, we're better than that. We're more like 13%. No. <laughs> Actually, I think we're, we're much better than that. But let's just stipulate for a moment that he knew what he was talking about. Now, first of all, it sounds awful, 14%. That's a huge amount. But what that means is that 86% of the people uh, really want to do ministry and be ministered to and grow in the Lord and, and love Christ and, and be obedient to the Lord and, and that that kind of a thing. But back to this 14% of church members that won't be happy no matter what. We need to ask ourselves, have I slipped into that, that category? Am I one of those people that, no matter what the church does, it's always not quite right for me. And I, I, I really don't like this or that. There's always something under your skin about the church. We need to ask ourselves if we've fallen into that. And, and people can fall in and out of that too in seasons of their life. But if you admit you're, you're there, it's something to be repented of. To turn from it. It's what Paul is saying, do things without grumbling or disputing. Because, as he'll show in a moment, that's what people of the light do. And then, secondly, a believer's salvation should be displayed in actions. Verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So I want you to notice how, how connected action is to attitude. He talks about being blameless. That's a, a, a purity of life that's undeniable, that's, that's above reproach. Too often, unfortunately, Believers are known by what they don't do rather than what they do. It's not about rules. And here at St. Andrews, we don't, we don't have rules for you. I'm not going to give you the rules of life because then you could just say, well, I don't agree. I'm not going to obey Dale's rule. Our rule is the word of God itself. That's our rule for life. But we shouldn't be characterized to the world by what we won't do. It's how we live our life as people of the light. And then he uses that word pure. By their pure lives. Not because of rules, but because of the purity of the one that lives in us. That's what should make the difference in terms of those who are followers of Christ. The word pure here that is used in the New Testament times uh, for wine and metals. 
And the reason it's used is uh, meaning unmixed. So like with a, a metal, uh, the, where it looks okay, it looks strong, but when it hits the fire, the impurities come out. And so he says we are to, to live lives that are pure, meaning this, that that which is on the inside is equal with the way we act. It's not two different things. Notice also that he says we're to live that way in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Does that sound at all like our generation? Well, isn't that interesting, though, because Paul wrote this. And so what that means is that that preachers and teachers of the word of God in every generation have stood up and talked about living as light in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation. And I'm sure every generation is saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're crooked, we're twisted. Everything's falling apart out there. That's how up to date this is. But here is an angle that we could easily miss. The more crooked and twisted things look, the more opportunity there is to be a light. Some of you, this is not an insult, but some of you look like you may have lived, you may remember living through the 60s. Some of you probably who lived through the 60s don't remember the 60s either. <laughs> Let me tell you about the 60s. It, it, was a, it was a crazy decade between assassinations, between a war that some of you honorably served in, between college campuses and cities that were on fire, racial tensions. It was a crazy time. Toward the end of that decade, a man named Malcolm Muggeridge, at the age of 66, came to faith in Christ. He was a social commentator and he was an avowed agnostic before that. He came to Christ. About 10 years later, he wrote this. Let us then as Christians rejoice that we see around us on every hand the decay of institutions and instruments of power we see intimations of empires falling to pieces, money in total disarray, dictators and parliamentarians alike, nonplussed by the confusion and conflicts which encompass them. For it is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting, when every possibility of help from earthly sources has been sought and is not forthcoming, 
When every recourse this world offers, moral as well as material, has been explored to no effect, and in the gathering darkness every glimmer of light has finally flickered out, it is then that Christ's hand reaches out sure and firm. Then Christ's words bring inexpressible comfort. Then his light shines brightest, abolishing the darkness forever. Isn't that a different angle? See, it's easy for us to to get depressed about the way the world is. And he says, no, 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 don't, you know, Christians don't get depressed about that. Because as these institutions and as everything falls apart, all the things that people are putting their trust in, when they come crashing down, when people have tried them and they haven't brought any hope or satisfaction, when that happens, when it's the very darkest, that's when Christ shines the brightest. And he says among whom you shine as lights in the world. How does Christ shine? Through his people. Here's the concern. The more like the crooked and twisted generation we look, the less our lives are like Christ. So how are people to know about Christ? Well, his ordained way is for us to be his witnesses for him. Not just to go out and witness, but to be his witness in our lives. Here's what we say in our vision 2022. We wish to touch every family in our ministry area with the gospel. Our desire is for every member of SAPC to to be a witness and to share Jesus Christ with those who are without him or to whom he has become distant. Every member a witness. So do do you get the point is that if every one of us is a light in our community, the community begins to light up. If every uh, true believer in every church around here shines as a light in the darkness of the community, the community begins to light up where there, because there is hope in Christ. Now notice what Paul calls them. He calls them lights in the world. He's saying to the uh, Philippians, that's your identity. Your identity is not people of the darkness. Your identity is as a light. And so when we don't live as a follower of Christ, when our attitudes don't reflect Christ in us, we dim. We don't shed darkness. It's just the absence of light that causes darkness in the world. So back to our introduction. Is it always hypocrisy when our actions don't match up to our trust in Christ? Is it always hypocrisy? It's always wrong. It is always sin. But it is only hypocrisy 
when we refuse to deal with it. There's no better place to deal with those things than at the Lord's table. And there is no better time than today to deal with those things. One more thing from this passage that we alluded to earlier. And that is, what if we come to the point in our lives where we can't seem to do what's right any longer? We're all out of energy. I've tried. I've had people in my office through the years say that to me. I know what's right, but I I just, I can't. I can't keep doing this. I'm tired of trying to do it. The passage indicates that it is God that provides the energy and ability to obey. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you don't have the energy to, to go on, it is an indication that you're probably trusting in your own energy because God never runs out of strength or energy. He never says no to his children when they ask him to give me the strength to obey. He will always say yes to that. And so if you're at the end of your rope, realize you're, you're probably hanging on to the wrong rope. You're trying to hang on to your own rope. And so we come to the table. Welcome to the table. Because it is here that we are strengthened. Listen to what Paul said to another church about this table. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You're in the 14%. Or you're just out of energy. This is the place for you to deal with that sin and go to him again for strength. But if you're unwilling to, if you're naming the name of Christ as your Savior, but you're unwilling to deal with it, then you need to step back from the table today until you are ready to go back to him. It's a family table. 
And so if in your heart of hearts you say, you know what, I'm not really a part of this family yet. Seem like nice people, but I don't think I'm one of them. I'm glad you're here. But you're right. It's not yet time to come to the table. We want you to watch. We hope that you will long to be a part of this. But he warns not to make a mockery of this table by pretending pretending to be a part of his family just let the elements pass on by you don't need to worry what anyone else will think let's pray together Lord, we need you so bad here to change our attitudes, to conform our actions so that we are living again as people of the light. Will you take these elements from their their everyday, ordinary use this bread, this fruit of the vine. And will you use them to strengthen our faith, our doubts, our lives as we partake by faith in Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen.